Tonight on Fig Tree Watchers, it's Friday Night Prophecy, where we discuss the news events of the week and how they relate to Bible prophecy. Happy Friday the 13th. It's going to be a great night. Let's stay tuned because next I'll be joined by my friend Ayo from Amitsu Study. And uh, he'll be on in just a moment, but let's invite a few people on here as we uh, get ready. Hey, everyone, happy Friday the 13th. That's right, because if your faith is in Jesus, all the bad luck that Satan throws at you is going to be absolutely worthless. And uh, I just want to tell you all, it is a new year, and this is the first episode of Fig Tree Watchers Friday Night Prophecy. It's going to be an eventful year, and we are so excited to have you join us. Uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone who is uh, uh, here tonight and is going to be watching. So tell your mom, tell grandma, the holidays are over. The uh, It's time to get back into God's Word, uh, to study His Word, and to seek what God is going to be doing next, and to looking at the horizon through a biblical worldview and seeing what God's going to do next in your life, right? So it's going to be pretty exciting. Do want to share a couple of things with you. Yes, uh, the flooding has continued in Southern California. Um, and some people are like, oh man, how you doing? Are you holding up? Everything is going great. We're doing good. Uh, we've managed to, to hold back a little bit on that. Uh, we did uh, today lose another sheriff in our county um for those of you who may or may not um our county is run by sheriff bianca um who is a godly man a christian man um he's one of the few guys to stand up to uh gavin newsom and, and some of the things that are going on out there uh we have lost in the last two weeks now two sheriffs who have been killed and i uh, just want to tell you that um to to Darnell's family, uh, who uh, was the sheriff today that was killed, um, we we just want to you know let you know we're praying for you and uh, you have our support in this. Uh, this was a tragic thing that has happened, and um, I just it, it's a tough thing. So um, other than that, please keep Riverside County in your prayers. Uh, we have. A sheriff that we elected you overwhelmingly overwhelmingly in uh, riverside county and he's a really really neat christian guy and i just want to let you guys know that so keep him in your prayers um i see my partner io is started in the next couple of minutes so i hope you're all doing really well and uh here he is io hey welcome hey brother Nice to be on. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, I'm excited for the first episode of the year. Yes, first episode of the year. Happy Friday the 13th to you. Uh, <laughs> Friday the 13th to you as well. Yeah, it is a, uh, a blessed day for those mm -hmm. who are believers in Jesus Christ because Christ is our sufficiency yeah. and uh, he can withstand all uh, the attacks that Satan throws because we can stand firm in, in Christ. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to read a quick verse, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, I cry 
cry to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. This is Psalms 142. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path and the way in which I should walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on the right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Jesus is our all in all. No matter how bad things look, how bad things get, we have an incredible hope in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in our life. And uh, this is our great hope. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you. That's why uh, Paul refers to uh, this in, in the book of Titus. Uh, Jesus is our great God and Savior. And that's what we look upon. Jesus as our Savior. Exactly. Amen. Amen. That's a great way to start. Great way to start. Absolutely. Why don't you lead us in prayer? We'll get started. Sounds good. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for taking us through 2022. It was a wild year. It was a very interesting year. Um, I mean, just looking back through all the um, uh, prophecy updates we've done last year, Lord, through the lawlessness, through the advancement of technology, what's going on in Israel, the violence, the, the natural disasters. Uh, it was just a wild year. Um, but we thank you for sustaining us through it and bringing us into a new year now, 2023. We thank you for what you're doing with um, Brother Stefan and I. We're, we're no one special, but... You've allowed us to participate in your grand plan, Lord. You've allowed us to be um, just points of of, um, of, of uh, part of your body, Lord, where we can edify uh, other members of your body. So we thank you for the opportunity. We just pray that as we start this new year, this first episode, Lord, may just guide Brother Stefan and I as we delve into uh, the latest events. We delve into your word, talk about what your word says concerning the last days. As we see the day draw near, may you use this whole time, Lord, to encourage us about your soon return. Um, and that for those who are listening and haven't believed on your son, may they listen to this, uh, may they see these things and understand uh, that your word is true, that Jesus Christ truly died for their sins and that they can believe on him to have eternal life, Lord. So may the gospel be communicated above all. May we continue to point people to Christ with everything we do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And uh, so let's let's dive into it. It's been a while since we've been together. I hope everyone had a good break with their families over Christmas. We wanted to give everyone a chance to just really remember what Christmas is about. Um, and it's a celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, for many of you, you are making New Year's resolutions. Some of them were great. Some of you made resolutions about, hey, I'm, I'm getting back into the Word of God. I'm going to read my Bible every day. Some of you said, I'm going to make an attempt to go to church every Sunday. Those are great resolutions. But the most important resolution you can make in your life is to follow Jesus each and every day. Mm -hmm. And tonight, as we focus the different stories, and they're going to be interesting stories, remember to focus on Jesus. Jesus is our all in all. And we're going to be talking a lot this year about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And so... Um, let's get into it, Io. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just felt a great way to start was this article I found from Harbinger's Daily. They're, you know, we talk about them a lot. We get, you know, some of our articles from them. We often recommend them to you guys. And they post an article by Jonathan Bretner titled Questions for Those Who Dismiss the Validity of Future Bible Prophecy. This was posted just yesterday. 
I'm on his website, the 12th, January 12th. And I just thought it was a great article to share. I actually reposted it on my personal website, MitsuStudy.com, with some of my commentary. Um, even though the title says, Questions for Those Who Dismiss the Ability of Future Bible Prophecy, the Future Bible Prophecy is kind of generic, but he mainly focuses on the belief of replacement theology, right? Replacement theology, me and Brother uh, Stefan often denounce the viewpoint uh, that somehow the church has replaced Israel, that God is done with this people, the Jews, and everything is promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his descendants, or their descendants, rather. Uh, he's given those promises to the church in spiritual form, uh, that Jesus Christ will not be reigning literally on the earth in the future, but he's kind of reigning now uh, in heaven or in our hearts or something like that. Um, so often you'll find this replacement theology view uh, within views like amillennialism and, and postmillennialism. I mean, we won't get into that, you know, uh, now, tonight. We've done deep dives on that in the past, but this article kind of centers on that. And that, that was a good way to kind of bring us back to Scripture, bring us back to why even Brother Stefan and I do these type of uh, Friday Night Prophecy updates to give you guys a better understanding of Scripture, specifically what the Bible says about the last days and why you can believe it's true, and, and specifically arguing for a literal interpretation about prophecy. And I love what Jonathan Brenner does in this article because he asks 12 questions. And this is a very deep article. I'm only going to read off the questions. But in his article, he does a question, has like a paragraph or two about the scriptural reasons as to why uh, his question is like, uh, or what he's doing supports the question he's asking. So I encourage you guys, you know, after this live is done or after you listen to this podcast after the fact, um, you can go on Victory Watchers. You can go on our Telegram um, you'll find our show notes with this article. You can go on Harbinger's Daily or Jonathan Redner, their website, and find it. Um, but I'll just read off this article quickly, and we'll continue on from there. Uh, the article says, Was the reestablishment of Israel as a nation in 1948 a fluke of history or the result of God's miraculous working on behalf of his people? It's kind of a rhetorical question, right? A lot of us should say, well, of course not. It wasn't a fluke. Of course it was God's miraculous hand working in history to bring about um, the culmination of his people in his land. Although I and many others see God's supernatural hand in it, most church leaders today claim Israel's current existence has nothing to do with Bible prophecy. They teach that God rejected the people of Israel after their actions led to Jesus' crucifixion. As a result, he transferred his promises of a glorious future kingdom from Israel to the church, albeit spiritually. We refer to this belief as, quote, replacement theology since its proponents say that the church has replaced Israel in God's prophetic scheme. This is not a trivial matter. Replacement theology not only strikes at the validity of future prophecy, but also mutes the voice of the church at a time when pastors need to warn their flock about what's coming and comfort them with the blessed hope of the gospel, which goes back to our mission as well. Same thing, we want to comfort you guys, we want to encourage you guys with the blessed hope of God's or, or the, um, Jesus Christ's coming. And I'm going to add another point there, too. I think that another reason we talk about this is because God's character is on the line as well. And I know, brother, you agree with me. If we're to say that God, his promises to his people, he, he's just saying, oh, I'm just kidding. I'll actually give it to the church. Well, what did he do there? He backed out on his promises. He lied about his promises. So now that's calling this question God's character. And I believe that's another reason why this is important. So he said, my prayer is that the following dozen questions and my brief answers to them will encourage you. Our joyous hope in Jesus' appearance take us to heaven before the seven tribulation has its roots deep in the promises God made to Israel long, long ago. Again, these are the 12 questions. I'll just brief through them. Uh, you guys can go into his article in depth, but he basically asks, one, has God 
um, reneged on his covenant of the land with the patriarchs, or he backed out, or done a 180. Uh, when did God cleanse the people of Israel from all their sins and put his Holy Spirit in them? Um, so these are things that scripture says, and he's basically asking, this is what scripture says, when has this been fulfilled? Number three, when did the Israelites repent, as recorded in Zechariah 12, 10, 13, and 1, or rather 12, 10, chapters 13, um, verse 1. When did Jesus rule over the nation of Jerusalem? When did God, quote, make an end of sins and bring in everlasting righteousness? When did the 70th week of Daniel occur? When did Jesus rule over the nations with the rod of iron? Did Gabriel mislead Mary when he told her she would be the mother of the Messiah? When did God break the fixed order of nature? When did David rule over Israel after the Babylonian captivity? When did the great tribulation occur? Why did the disciples still expect a future restoration of a kingdom for Israel? Um, so again, guys, for those who might not be too familiar with those questions or where they're from, you might be listening to that and be like, I, I don't understand what that means. That's why I encourage you to go to the article. He very well, well explains everything in there. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up again, just to kind of draw us back to our mission here at Fix Your Watchers, what we do, why we find this important. And just as a, a, a basically as a segue into everything else we'll be talking about tonight. Yep, great point. Uh, I think that's a great article. Great article, and the questions you asked and, and, and were asked in the article actually were great, great questions. I think it's interesting because um, along with that article from Harbinger's Daily, we also got a, another little subtle, subtle piece article, and that's Pew Research, uh, a report that said. Um, if you think you're in the end times, you're not alone. 39% of uh, churchgoers believe that we're in the end times. And it's kind of interesting. 40% of all Christians um, believe that uh, we're in the end times. So 39% of all uh, U.S. adults think this. And then it went to 47% of all Christians. 55% uh, of Protestants. 63% of Evangelicals. I guess I must be an Evangelical. 31% of mainline church members. Um, this one was interesting to me because they included the stat. 76% of historically black church memberships. That's interesting. That was Now, they didn't include um, Hispanics, so I'm kind of interested about that. And, of course, they did not include Catholics because Catholics are all millennials, and they, interesting enough, believe in replacement theology. They believe the church replaced mm -hmm. Israel. So that's the part of their theology. Um, and before someone argues with me on that, actually, that is what they believe. So um, actually, it's in, in some of their, you can talk to their church doctrines and, and so forth, but that's in their main theology of, of what they believe. So I thought that was an interesting poll to go with what you were saying. Mm -hmm. You need to ask questions about your own theology. You need to bring this up. You need to ask yourself, okay, do we believe we're in the end times? What is making you believe you're in the end times? And I think those are some great questions. And then you need to ask yourself the most important question. Well, if we are, am I right with God? Yeah. Am I right with God? Because if you believe you're in the end, then you have to believe that there's a judgment coming and you're going to have to face God pretty soon. Are you where you need to be with God? Or are you still right? Funny. Or are you still wanting to do your own thing? Are you stubbornly holding on to the sins that you want to commit because you're angry unnecessarily at God because God did X when God didn't do X? God didn't take your mom. God didn't take your child. Satan did. Satan comes into the world to kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus said, I came to give life. 
but there's a time frame in which judgment must come and God must deal with the unrighteousness of man. Are you ready to face judgment with God? Are you ready? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Brother Ayo and I, we ask this on a daily basis. Lord, am I right with you? Have, have I truly surrendered all to you? It's not that I have to earn my salvation. I can't. Jesus did it all on the cross. But it's the question we ask. Lord, am I right with you? Am I walking with you correctly? Is there anything you need to, to correct in my life? Is there any hypocrisy that you need to remove? Because I love Jesus. And I want to follow Jesus each and every day. And I, I've decided to make that decision in my life. To surrender all to God. How about you? What's your next? Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, I definitely agree, brother. Um, yeah, so, you know, as we start off here, the first um, article we're going to get to right now is about the status quo of the Temple Mount. So that's something we talked a lot about in 2022. Um, and it continues being an object of discussion in, you know, 2023 as well. This is from Newsmax. It's uh, interesting. A status quo for Jewish prayer at Temple Mount could soon change. And, uh, I'm going to offer another article here that kind of conflicts with this, but I'll read it first and then kind of state my views on it. Um, according to the Wall Street Journal, the new conservative government is set to enact an agenda that, among other things, would possibly allow Jews to pray freely at the Temple Mount and establish Israeli control. Oversight that for centuries has been controlled by Muslims, so if you guys don't know, um, I think beginning November, she started talking about how Netanyahu, you know, Israel had new elections, Benjamin Netanyahu win, won, um, he's now the new prime minister of israel his government got sworn in several weeks ago so this is the new quote-unquote conservative government they're talking about it's netanyahu's government uh a quote from this article here we can now fundamentally change things that have stood for many years amon sigala temple activist told the outlet this is a time of great promise new israeli national security minister itamar ben gavir we've talked about that guy i'm going to go back to him soon uh, he visited the site last week in a move that both his supporters and detractors viewed as one step closer to fulfilling his campaign promise to change the status quo. Uh, I talked about him, I think, several times in November, December, that he's always been, you know, saying that he wants to change the status quo. And, and the Israeli president was saying that, hey, you know, all eyes on him. Watch out for him. He's dangerous. The Jordanian king was like, hey, you know, Israel, don't change the red lines around the Temple Mount. So he caused quite an uproar. Um, so that's what they're talking about here. In this position, Ben Gavir will have control of the police who are tasked with enforcing the status quo. Uh, the journal reports that the National Security Minister has said the police banning Jewish prayer is racist and has called for, quote, total Israeli sovereignty over the hilltop. According to the Israel Doc uh, Democracy Institute, a Jerusalem-based think tank, support for Jewish prayer in Tel Aviv grew to 50% among the Israelis last year compared with 30% in 2016. Um, so the reason I bring this up is just in general, we often talk about that for religious Jews at the very least, um, they see the Temple Mount as only the first step ultimately to the Third Temple. So a lot of these articles we quote, you'll see the Temple Mount and the Third Temple talked about in the same sentence, the same paragraph, at least in the same you know, article, oftentimes, because they see it as one and the same release, you know, stepping stone to that. And obviously, you know, scripture talks about that. Um, I'll just read to scriptures here. Uh, it talks about Matthew Dan, uh, Daniel 9, 27. Um, Jews talk about Matthew 24, 15 to 18. I'll read this one. 
Um, he said, Matthew 24, 15 to 18, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the down the prophet, staying in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. So the abomination of desolation, Daniel 9, 27 talks about, happens in the temple. Revelation 11 talks about that temple as well. So there's a future temple coming, and this just shows the mindset of people. Um, but what this article is claiming is that the status quo for Jewish prayer could change soon. And that's like, that's a big deal because the status quo has been locked in place for, for decades. And everybody's like, well, if you change it, that's World War III. And there's articles we've seen concerning that even in the past months. Um, why I said there's like conflicting, you know, statements on this is because I shared an article in December 8th from Israeli 365 News that the headline is Netanyahu refused Ben Gavir's demand for Jewish prayer on the Temple Mount. Um, so he said, definitely not. We're not allowing Jews to pray. The Temple Mount is, is that or the status quo is staying the same. It's not changing. So there's conflicting views there in terms of what's actually happening. Um, but kind of the point of me bringing this up is, hey, there's this new government in power right now. There's people who have these goals either to change the Temple Mount or to enhance the Abraham Accords, which we'll talk about later. So in general, what, what we're pointing to here is that things are happening with this new government, things that are possibly prophetically significant. They want to pay attention to whether it's about the Temple Mount, whether it's about the Sept Ezekiel 38, or possible Sept to Daniel 9 27 with the firm covenant for a week. Um, so, this is part of that as well. We don't know what's going to happen, whether this is true or not, whether Ben Gavir is going to get his way, but he's in there. He has control, allegedly, of the police in charge of the Temple Mount, and he wants to do this. So, whether he's able to or not, time will tell, but I think it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I, and, I, and I think that there is a a clear misunderstanding by a lot of people when we talk about the Temple Mount. People are like, oh, you guys are so excited about this Temple Mount. You know, you want this to happen. Actually, we don't. Nope. Okay. Um, why, why don't we? Well, because it mis it's, it's a misguided wrong thing to happen uh, for Israel. Mm -hmm. It takes their eyes off of Jesus and it leads them to believing that the Antichrist is the good guy. And that's what what worries us, right, as Christians. Yeah. It's the deception that's being taken place there. Look, the third temple that they really need to be looking for is the return of Christ um, and his temple coming down out of heaven and his reign mm -hmm. that will be established. Um, but that's not going to be the case. And like all things that man tries to do they try to move god along in their way judas did this with jesus he wanted jesus to be the king of israel and to kick the romans out and when jesus wouldn't go along with his plans he's like hey guess what i'm gonna force you into that maneuver by by betraying you i'm gonna betray you so that you'll have to defend yourself and become the king that i need you to become and Jesus didn't come to be the king then. He came to be the suffering Messiah then. The second time he comes will be to reign as king. Yeah. And so they're trying to get this temple into place so that they can have the Messiah come as they want him to come. But he's already come as that Messiah. He's already come as the savior of the world. The next time he comes, he comes to rule. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important to understand. 
we can't manipulate Jesus. We can't manipulate God. God foreknows everything. He's predestined everything in his foreknowledge. And Israel is one of the mechanisms, as the church is, in bringing about the establishment of God's kingdom. And I think that this is so important. Um, foreknowledge is the key to understanding how God sees everything and accomplishes everything to his will. But it's also two other factors that a lot of people leave out of there is grace and love. And I think it's important there. So hey, great, great story. What's the next one you have up for us? Yeah, like I before I move on, I just wanted to mention that, you know, I'm so glad they mentioned that because I think oftentimes I forget to make that mention too. Uh, whenever, you know, us, we talk about the third temple or the Temple Mount, even other uh, Bible prophecy teachers, you know, Amir Tsarfati, Jack Hibbs, whoever, you know, name your person. Um, we often talk about the Temple Mount. That's an important thing because the Bible prophesies about or, uh, the third temple, right? Um, so, but it's not because, as Brother Swan said, it's not because we're excited and ecstatic from the third temple. We're like, oh, yeah, you know, go build that thing. We're great. And, you know, we're not, we're not donating to the Temple Institute or anything like that. We often tell people, don't donate to the Temple Institute. You're only building the Temple of the Antichrist. The only reason we talk about this is that, you know, it's the best way we can explain it is that the temple, the third temple, it just functions as a, as a time marker of sorts, right? Because it has to stand at least halfway during the tribulation, three and a half years in. It has to be standing at that point because the Antichrist is going to come in, stop the sacrifices, and, you know, declare himself as God. That happens halfway through the tribulation. So we look at that and we say, hey, if the Jews now are excited and trying to build a temple that's going to stand three and a half years in the tribulation, how close are we to the tribulation? Even closer, the rapture of the church that precedes it, right? So that's the point. That's the logic there. We're not excited for the building of the third temple. We're excited for the implications, which is the rapture, right? It's ultimately right. pointing back to Jesus. That's what we're excited about. And I'm glad Bill Spahn made that um, differentiation. Um, and it's, yep. it's unfortunate too because again we're we're um, we're sad that the Jews are trying to build this third temple uh, because we know what it means. I just read Matthew twenty four fifteen to eighteen. Jesus warned them when you see this thing happen, this abomination of desolation, run. Why? Because he's going to start slaughtering the Jews at that point. He's going to go persecute them. And we see that um, through the scriptures as well. Um, so what they should be looking for, unfortunately, um, that they're not looking for now is the true Messiah, is Jesus. Uh, they should be looking for his return. They should be looking forward to the fourth temple, which is going to be um, during uh, the millennial reign of Christ. So, yeah, I just wanted to add that in there. And I think it's important when Paul talks about that all of Israel will be saved, it's all believing Israel. He's referring to the believing Israel. And there's going to be a huge chunk of believing Israel that comes to Christ. And I'm really excited about that um, myself. Um, and I, I look forward to seeing that. Um, What's your next article? Yeah, yeah, next article here is concerning Netanyahu again. It's with this new government here. It's with this plans to include uh, Saudi Arabia as part of uh, the Abraham Accords, which is something we've talked about um, in nauseum. <laughs> we've talked about it so much. Um, so this is from Jewish News Syndicate. It's actually from December 25th, so fairly recent, but still, you know, an article from last year, technically. The headline is Netanyahu offers to suspend annexation plans in exchange for peace with Riyadh. When I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, not again with these guys. Essentially, it's just land for peace, right? And Israel right. continues to disappoint us with this. They continue to believe that if they give up just this much land, if they, if they you know, if they just believe the Palestinians and give enough land, or if they believe the terrorists and just do this thing, they're going to get peace. And they 
they somehow, unfortunately, believe that the Palestinians will stick to their word, or that the terrorists will stick to their word. But they don't understand that they want to completely wipe them out. They want all of Israel from sea to sea, right? That's what they, that's the kind of claim there, they make the anti-Semitic claim for sea to sea, that they want Israel wiped off the map, and they want all of it. So this is kind of what this is about, essentially, that Netanyahu will give up plans of annexing um, Sumerian, Judea and Samaria, sorry, Judea and Samaria, um, in exchange for peace with Saudi Arabia. So I'll just read this article and we'll talk about it some. Prime Minister designate Benjamin Netanyahu would suspend plans to annex parts of Judea and Samaria, known as West, the West Bank, uh, but Judea and Samaria is the biblical name for it, commonly known as the West Bank in exchange for the normalization of relations with Saudi Arabia, according to a report over the weekend. So what this means is that land that actually belongs to Israel, he's just going to say, oh, you know, it's not ours. We'll, we'll let it go, hands off, in exchange for making peace with Saudi Arabia, which I don't agree with. Uh, talks are underway between Israel, the United States, and Saudi Arabia. To this end, uh, Yediot Aharonauts reported, which is an Israeli news source. Netanyahu said he hopes to welcome Saudi Arabia into the circle of countries that have joined the Abraham Accords. Quote, I hope to bring about a full formal peace as we've done with the other Gulf states like Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates. He said during an interview with Jewish Insider on December 23rd, quote, this is a very important goal because if we have peace with Saudi Arabia, we are effectively going to bring an end to Arab-Israeli conflict. Um, and yeah, that's that's what he's trying to do. We'll see if he accomplishes that. Like I said, I don't agree with it. I don't think Brother Stefan agrees with it. Lots of Christians won't agree with, with this deal um, because we don't agree with giving up the land that God gave them to, or not giving it up necessarily. In this case, he will suspend annexation. He'll stop it. Um, so that will give, essentially, Saudi Arabia the power to say, hey, you can do this, or you can't do that, over your own land, which doesn't make any sense. Um, but why him trying to attain peace with Saudi Arabia is important, though, is that we believe that it's possible to be, that this might be setting things up for Ezekiel 38, right? Ezekiel 38, we talk about it a lot, or Gog and Magog. Uh, where these nations go against Israel for spoil, for financial gain. Um, and then part of it is that this nation, this group here, protested. They don't do anything, but they protest it. Um, and that's Ezekiel 38, 13. I'll read this piece of it. Sheba Didan, the merchant Tarshish, and all the young lions will say to you, if you come to take plunder, if you gather your arms to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, goods to take great plunder. So they just protest. They ask, what are you doing? Um, Sheba Didan. Is modern day in the, this region at Ezekiel's time is now in our time Saudi Arabia. And we've been seeing this 180 flip of decades ago. Saudi Arabia hated Israel's guts. Um, they wanted to wipe them out. Now, years later, they're on friendly terms with Saudi Arabia. Even Netanyahu and others have said that hey, if it wasn't for Saudi Arabia's basically thumbs up for the Abraham Accords, the UAE and Bahrain would have never hopped on the Abraham Accords bandwagon. So because they're on it, it means that Saudi Arabia approved it. Um, so what we're seeing essentially is friendly relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia. And Benjamin Netanyahu wants to take a bigger step by actually normalizing it, by confirming it, by making it basically public to the world. This is a, this is a thing between them. I mean, it just shows us the continual growing ties between these nations, which, as I read Ezekiel 38, should be what we should be expecting based on the protests that will happen against nations that want to invade Israel, right? If you have some type of agreement or relationship, friendly relationship with Israel, 
you're you're benefiting from that maybe economically maybe financially whatever it may be and if nations are going to invade that's going to harm you right you don't want that uh so as we're seeing this peace talks of you know Netanyahu saying they wants to bring in Saudi Arabia and they're going to reap financial benefits and all this stuff my mind continually goes back to Ezekiel 38 but what are your thoughts brother No I would I would say I agree with you wholeheartedly I was thinking the same thing as Ezekiel 38 you living in peace and security um it it's kind of a false maneuver you said everything really well there and I I don't want to add anything to that that's pretty good what's your next story Yeah the next one um similar to what we've talked about concerning the temple this one is quicker the Jewish new syndicate to win the war of independence we must govern the temple mount uh, this one's interesting because it's just another example of the tone shift we're seeing concerning the temple mount um particularly you know 5 years ago maybe the main conversation surrounding the temple mount is just religious in sense so a lot of people who were wanting to pray on the temple mount or wanting you know Jews to have rights to pray there or just to even go on the temple mount were mainly religious Jews who just wanted to do sacrifices and pray there and that was kind of the the main argument there but as of last summer what i've been noticing what brother spawn has been agreeing with me that he's been seeing as well is that when we had all those terrorist attacks people start to kind of rise up and say like hey this is enough we're tired of it we don't want the you know Palestinians and and other terrorist groups using the temple mount as a beach you know beachhead or a launching pad for their terrorist attacks um so they kind of that kind of fueled the view that hey we need to control this area and it's becoming less of a religious issue and more of a humanitarian like human rights issue right people are saying for example Ben Gavir I believe he's saying that you know Jews can't pray on Temple Mount that's racist <laughs> so it's becoming this so that doesn't have any religious tones right it's just it's just racist so that's a different that's a different tone to it or saying that wow Jews can't pray on Temple Mount that's a that's a religious you know rights issue that's a humanitarian issue um so it's becoming something that religious Jews were you know arguing for and now it's expanded to something non-religious Jews can argue for So article says the great significance of the Temple Mount is beyond religious and historical. It is national. So you see there it's it's beyond religion. It's it's a national. It has to do with their national identity now. The Temple Mount is a source of strength and power. We do not understand the enormous damage caused by this debate. No essential importance of going up to the mount in order to strengthen our national identity and our connection to the land of Israel and Jerusalem. Until we do, we will not have achieved victory in our war of independence, which is unfortunately not yet over. Our enemies must know the mount is important to us the whole world must know that it is important to us to all of us right and left ultra orthodox religious traditional and secular it should be as important to us as the western wall and masada so again the temple mount now is this rallying cry of bringing all these different types of jews whether you're religious or not secular or not you know we can all come and unite under this all you know banner of we want the temple mount because it's not just a religious issue that's because of its our national identity and this article goes as far as to say that their war of independence isn't over yet until they claim their right to the temple mount which is like wow that's pretty strong language there um but i just thought that was significant again because ultimately we have to see the temple mount talked about with the third temple so it kind of goes hand in hand and i thought that was important for that reason yeah that's a great point a and uh we had a question any updates on israel and their government and in thoughts on how and when russia's transition from the ukraine war to ezekiel 38 um i think we're a ways away from the ezekiel 38 conflict because of the ukraine war but there are also some things i think need to happen in bible prophecy 
for things to to get to the point. And one of them, I think, is the the Psalm eighty three war. Um, there's those who disagree with it, but some say it's a prayer. I say it's a prayer, but I also say it's also a prophetic message about the um, the the war that's coming. Okay, so I'll, I'll give that answer. So first question, any updates on Israel and their government? Uh, we actually talked about that a bit. Um, I kind of sped through that quickly. Essentially, Israel just had their, I said just, but it was early November, like first week of November, late October. They had their elections for prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu won. Sometime in December, they swore in his, his government. Um, so now as reading articles about Ben Gavir, which is a party in that government, which is trying to, you know, change things on Temple Mount. We have Netanyahu now, who is the, again, the prime minister, and he's trying to get the Abraham Accords and expand that. Um, so that's kind of the update there that we can give you, a quick summarized update. Um, and then another question, thoughts on how and when is Russia transitions from Ukraine war to Ezekiel 38? That's kind of a hard question because, I mean, we can't, <laughs> we can only give you what we believe. You know, we can only talk about how we believe the Ukraine war may be significant in terms of prophecy war. We can't, like, give you this roadmap of, oh, after the Ukraine war, A and B to Z is going to happen, you know? Um, so that's a hard question. I can't answer that. All I can say is, um, um, from what we've talked about in the past, I believe the Ukraine war may be, you know, setting the stage, so to speak, for Ezekiel 38. The reason why it's because it showed, you know, the U.S. is incompetent in some sense. It's kind of uh, puffed up Russia. Um, it kind of gave Russia the mindset of like, oh, we can just kind of evade and you know, invade a nation and just, you know, nothing kind of happens. Of course, Ukraine is still fighting back, but they kind of have that mentality. And that's the mentality it kind of shows in Ezekiel 38, Russia being the one spearheading that invasion. Um, so for those reasons, it may be, you know, fairly significant, but I'm, I can't, you know, chart a roadmap for you concerning how this could lead to Ezekiel 38 possibly. So that's my answer. Yeah, great, great point. Agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, I think we're going to have to see some other things coming into play before that happens. Yeah. All right. Next article. Yeah. Actually, why don't you go? Because it, I went through the time quick, 40 minutes, and you know, we only have 20 minutes. So I know you have a few things you want to talk about too, brother. So I'll give you a, <laughs> I'll give you a chance. You know, it's, uh, I, I think one of the most important pieces of that I, I really want to talk about, and that is because everyone knows I'm a big, I love gardening, mm -hmm. right? And the, the one thing that I think is really important is what's going on in Holland. And that is you had 3,000 farmers uh, that were protesting um, because these farms are going to be taken away and put under corporate control. And what do you mean they're going to be taken away? The government is going in to take away these individual farms under the guise of global warming, okay? And uh, it's announced to force the sale closure of 3,000 farms in order to meet strict new environmental guidelines put in place by the European Union. Although the purchase will apparently be made on generous terms of up to 120% of the farmer's, farm's value, the Dutch government is doing this. Now, here's the problem. Most of them are going to be closed. The others are going to be put under corporate control. This is a government land grab given to corporations to empower more corporations so that you're going to watch in Holland food prices escalate or disappear. You're going to see food disappear. We're watching this already take place in this country. 
Um, there are certain items that gardeners use uh, for gardening that they need. Like uh, for potatoes, I'm going to give you an item, vermiculite. You cannot go into any store in California right now. The big box ones, the small gardening ones, the independent ones, and, and trust me on this, and find vermiculite. And there's a 100% natural gardening ingredient that you use in your soil so that the soil is loose and fluffy so that mm -hmm. potatoes can grow. Guess what? You're a gardener. You are looking out for vermiculite. Now, you used to be able to get you three years ago. You could find a bag of vermiculite. No problem. Uh, it might cost you like six, six bucks. Now you're having to go on to Amazon and you're going to have to buy these bags. And you might find, might find a 40-pound bag for like 75 bucks wow. on Amazon. It's disappearing. It's escalating. But potato is a crop that isn't for the rich. It's for the poor. And what you're watching is the poor becoming poorer and impoverished and the rich getting richer and eliminating any way of sustainability for an individual to feed his family. Uh, yesterday, or actually today, I spoke with a very wealthy African-American, very wealthy, who visited New York City and he showed me a picture and he said, you know what they were doing on the streets of New York? They, had, they were cooking rats. He said, I thought I was in Thailand when I was in the military and the Navy in Thailand and I visited there and they would have filleted rats and they were serving them out and with menus. And he goes, I was in New York City and he said, I couldn't believe it. It was so bad. I thought I was in a third world country. I've had another friend of mine tell me that um, he can't get bread, like regular bread, and it's like 12 bucks a loaf. And that's New York City. And these are not wealthy people in New York City. These are the poor. And look at what they're being reduced to and he, through humiliation. Same thing in Los Angeles. The epidemic of poverty and homelessness is growing to the point where people are screaming, what can you do? What can you do? What can you do? And it's the same old policies. Make the poor poorer and the rich richer. Okay? And these aren't New York, California, they have something in common here. There's no Republicans, right? Uh, it's very scarce, although I will say California did a lot better job this year in the election cycle than, than they have done in previous cycles. However, we're still purple. So keep this in mind. Um, this is going to escalate. And what does this have to do with Bible prophecy? Inflation. Inflation. When a day's uh, wages will, will cover a, a, the price of a loaf of bread. Yeah, I know that uh, when we started, when the Ukraine war started, literally a year ago now, right? In February, it's going to be a year since the uh, invasion of Russia into Ukraine started. Um, you know, we started seeing a lot of articles saying, you know, like Ukraine is the breadbasket world in terms of wheat and things like this. And Russia also has, you know, a lot of the world's, uh, or exports a lot of the world's wheat and oil and these things. We started learning how valuable the central Ukraine was and that how that will have, you know, trickling effects down the chain, right? Like food shortages. And we saw many articles on that, reported on many articles on that, and, and kind of how, you know, um, the pervasiveness of that relation to relation six and in what Brother Spahn just said. Um, so this seems to, based on what you're saying, this seems to be very similar to that, like the food shortages. And, and also at that period of time, too, just like you're saying, um, we saw 
different governments around the world, especially in Europe, um, basically enact these, I don't know, legislations or mandates or whatever, but how they would just literally come in and seize farming land of farmers and they couldn't do anything about it. Um, so that was also happening. Um, so it's just very strange to see these things happening, you know, the dwindling food supply and land being taken and things like that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's <laughs> just the time we're living in, just kind of the crazy events 2022 I, I kind of opened us up with. So yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, that's all I, I have for tonight. And uh, have you got anything else yeah. you want to cover on there? Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, we covered. talked, yeah, we talked a lot about, you know, the Middle East, um, but there's still an article I have concerning technology because oftentimes, you know, with me, my interest is Middle East and technology. Um, this is with Canada. So you guys, you know, citizens of Canada, if you live in Canada, if you're from Canada, we have friends who are Canadians. You guys got to, uh, you know, listen up to this one. Um, LifeSite which is actually a Christian news source, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Canadian province looking to roll out digital ID pilot program after success with the COVID vax pass. So that's very interesting. And it's also interesting that they're using this digital program um, after they're like, hey, you know that digital vax pass we're using in 2020 and 2021? That was great. Let's like use that as an example for this, you know, other thing, um, which is kind of what we were talking about, the, the, vaccine passwords to lead to, right? Um, so we're kind of seeing a fruition of this now. So the article says, and this is, a, this is again, relating to Canada, the Canadian, pro this is from January 5th, so it's still literally news from this year, earlier this year. The Canadian province of Newfoundland and Labrador is looking to launch a digital identification pilot project, which a provincial man uh, minister admitted will be um, easier to implement thanks to the experience gained from its once mandatory COVID-19 vaccine password. So, I mean, as I read that, the only way that sounds to me is that after they mandated the COVID vaccine and the passports, they saw how people reacted. Uh, they had time to learn about how to essentially mandate it, things like this, how to use it in businesses and in you know schools and things like that. And now that they have that data, they're like, okay, cool. We can use that experience of that data to bring out this other technology here for basically surveillance and control, right? So, which is just astounding. As reported by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CBC, Digital Government Minister Sarah Studley for the province of Newfoundland and Labrador announced earlier this week that, it, that its 2023 digital ID project or pilot project will be a, quote, huge opportunity to, listen to this, protect the privacy of Canadians. <laughs> So their digital ID platform or project, they want to use it to protect the privacy of Canadians, which is very funny, which is contrary to the, the detractors, you know, that, that say, hey, actually, this will be a threat to privacy, right? But that's kind of what they always say. They always tout the benefits. They always say, oh, no, you'll, you'll have privacy over your data. You'll have control over your data. Uh, you don't have to carry your wallet anymore. You don't have to carry your, you know, keys or ID or anything like that. You can just have it all on your phone. Um, so that's the that's the kind of stuff they say. According to Studley, digital IDs will help, quote, reduce fraud, noting that our province will be the, quote, leaders in this space in Canada. So, okay, so no fraud, thanks to this. Um, you'll protect privacy, like she said. Studley also mentioned that a provincial digital ID system will be easier to implement thanks to the province's recent experience that's once mandatory COVID vaccine. So he said the same thing. Um, called NLV, NL Vax Pass. So Stuley informed citizens that the NL Vax Pass is one way for people to verify their identity on the forthcoming digital application. 
Um, she said that it's optional. These things always start as optional until they're not. So that's that's not really something to, to applaud. Despite Stooley's enthusiasm, and here it is, many have warned that digital IDs pose an extreme risk to personal privacy, which we always talk about. Even Newfoundland's own information and privacy commissioner, Michael Harvey, admitted that digital IDs do have risk should one's information be misused. It could cause great, great deal of harm, he noted. Last September, privacy commissioners from all levels of government said in a joint resolution that digital IDs must ensure that rights to privacy and transparency are fully respected. And it kind of goes on. They talk about um, uh, Canada's recent um, efforts in this digital ID space as well. They said last year through an inquiry of ministry, Conservative Party of Canada, MP Leslie uh, Lewis demanded information from the Trudeau government and his transportation minister, Omar, Omar Al-Gabra, over its participation in the World Economic Forum's known travel digital ID or identities. That's KTDI. Um, so that's Trudeau. Oh, you know, partnering with the World Economic Forum for a digital ID, and that's the Canadian government. Um, so yeah, so that's the, and there's still more there. The article's bigger. I don't want to take too much more time on it than I've already spent already. Um, but the point here, guys, is there's a lot of places around the world trying to go and implement this digital ID system. Last time we were on, I believe we talked about digital ID system that the EU is trying to do. Um, this article later actually says different provinces are actually trying to do this. They said, in fact. The provinces of Ontario, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, New Brunswick have already forged ahead with pushing digital ID. So, you know, those who live in Newfoundland and Labrador, you're not the only ones who have to worry. You know, you, you have your other, you know, brothers and sisters in Ontario and Saskatchewan and British Columbia and New Brunswick, you know, to, to enjoy this system. At least they want, they, they're trying to portray it as if you're going to enjoy it right, with all these benefits. Um, but why we bring this up, guys, because Revelation 13, we believe, you know, it could lead to what Revelation 13 describes or kind of be setting the stage for it. Um, just the continual technology building up, continual system being laid, the ground being laid for a system that just allows for mass surveillance, right? And that surveillance line for mass control. And digital ID is a component of it. We just talked about also CBDC. And a lot of these things, guys, they go hand in hand. If you have digital ID, it's not just digital ID for your passport or for your card keys or for your you know your driver's license you can put your medical info there so now it can be a vaccine passport you can put your you know cryptocurrency in there your cbdc in there now it's everything right that's kind of the direction things are headed not just in canada but in the us and the eu and i believe that you know these ideas that these people are having what they're pushing can definitely be laid in the government to what revelation 13 says that one day there'll be a system mark the b system that comes that you have to have this mark on your right hand or forehead um, you have to take it to participate financially. And if you don't, then you're shut out of it, right? So everybody's a part of it. Everybody, there's no escape. Everybody's a part of it. Um, we're kind of seeing, and I feel like we're seeing this groundwork being laid with technology like digital IDs and CBDCs, of course, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's funny, but a lot of this technology, all of it, it's all about control. Yeah. How can they control you, right? Um, and it, it, it's not good technology. A lot of, um, we just saw on the East Coast a Tesla that uh, the driver said the self-driving mechanism failed and it came to a complete stop um, on the road. Um, and it caused, I believe, a massive pileup on the freeway out there. And this was on the news today. Um, and what you're, you're seeing is, wait a moment, 
uh, how can a car just come to a complete and sudden stop, you know? Well, electric cars are a little bit different. When you let off the gas pedal on your electric car, it's like a brake. It's, it, it just goes like to complete stop. So when you let your eyes off these self-driving mechanisms and you move your eye for a moment, within three seconds, these things can come. They give a warning, and then three seconds later, they come to a stop. And that stop is without brake lights or anything. It just stops, right? Dangerous systems. But if you can do that, imagine what hap happens if someone were to hack that vehicle and get into the vehicle. Um, it's, it's scary. It's very scary. It's all about control. And um, a lot of this technology is very dangerous uh, and, and shouldn't be even allowed. But the rich power brokers of the world, they want it. They want it. more control, the better they have it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, something interesting about what you just talked about, too, with the Teslas. I also saw news about how um, with the flooding that's going on in different areas. I'm not sure if it's California or Florida. I think it's Florida, which recently had some, some flooding. I don't think it's California. I think it's Florida, where after the flood came in Florida, and some of these Teslas, they were submerged and damaged due to these floodwaters, which were salt water, of course, by the ocean. After it, you know, receded back, um, people were finding out that these Teslas were catching on fire <laughs> because they were submerged by water. So that's another thing that's like, oh, we didn't, we didn't anticipate that. We didn't know that after being submerged by salt water, they would just catch on fire the car battery. So now that's a, that's another danger of these Teslas. That's like, and they don't catch on fire immediately. They're just like basically ticking time bombs. Um, so they have to like put them in these car yards and then you have to space them out by like 60 feet. So if they catch on fire, they don't make another one explode and catch on fire. So it's just really crazy um, what's going on. And, and, you know, we could talk all day about, you know, the push for electric vehicles, and what that's going to do and, you know, the 15 minute city and all that. And that's like a whole new conversation. But I agree with you that a lot of this technology is just for control. Ultimately, they don't say that. You know, they, when they talk about CBDC, they're like, oh, it's going to prevent fraud. And, you know, digital ID is going to prevent fraud. You don't have to carry your wallet. It's going to be great for you. Of course, you want your best interest at heart. Uh, but they, they don't tell you that, oh, wait, but we'll have all your data. We'll know what you're doing. We can shut that off with the flick of a switch. Yeah. So that's the danger we're showing you guys that they're not saying that some people are sounding, thankfully. And then that's why we believe that, man, this technology, not just one piece here or there, but like the composite of all of it, could very well set the stage for what the Bible says is coming in the future, which is not here. We're not saying digital IDs and Mark the Beast or anything. We're saying that, hey, this is smelling a lot like what Revelation 13 is saying is coming. So, so yeah, so very interesting stuff. Um, but thankfully, you know, we can look forward to the Lord's promises for us. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a pretty... Uh pretty great discussion tonight uh as we wrap it up we want to say thank you everyone for joining us you can listen to the replay of this uh broadcast here on instagram as we save every live or you can go to the podcast form on uh, all the major platforms and or you can go to fig tree watchers and just listen to it there so uh thanks and that's figtreewatchers.com yeah. So thanks for joining us, and good night, everyone. God bless, and go follow Jesus. Good night, guys. Good night.